0: Morning. I'll just talk for a moment and um, see what happens. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Father, we thank you that you are here, that you are present. Father, we thank you that as we come before you this morning with joyful songs, with open hands and open hearts, that Lord... Your heart is to be poured out fresh this morning. So, Lord, would you open the floodgates of heaven this morning? We come to receive of all that you have for us today. And, Lord, we thank you for your word, for your word, which I've left Mm -hmm. at my chair, which is good because I've also left my watch, which is probably more important for me to switch on. Amen. As a funny aside, we have actually about eight minutes ahead, and I'd uh, prepared a shorter message this morning, thinking that God wants some time to minister and to us to respond to what he's saying. So um, we're either going to have an early lunch or God's going to turn up, and uh, I'll let you choose which I think the Lord has for us this morning. But Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and active and Lord, as we open it up this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus Christ Amen. afresh. That, Lord, you would open our hearts that we would receive of your Spirit. And that, Lord, we would just turn our ears and our all to you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Started. So. I'm not onto the words yet, but um, as we were just uh, worshipping there, I actually had something that I wanted to say that I feel is on my lips, but not in my notes, and that is that you are beautiful. Not just you, Dave. You are beautiful. And actually, I felt there was more than that. I just felt God say that God knows you, that actually he knew you when you were knit together in your mother's womb that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You are beautiful. And I say that not just because I see your faces, you're lovely, but because I sense there's something in your hearts and your spirits that God has placed in you. He has made you. You are beautiful and he loves you. Whether you're sat here this morning or watching online, you are beautiful and God loves you. We're getting to what I really feel is for this morning's message. This morning's message is called Made Holy. Made Holy. And I want to begin with three statements, with three declarations of truth, if you will. I hope you believe what I'm about to say is true. And if you do believe it, actually, I hope that it actually impacts how you see God and maybe even how you see yourselves and how you see others around you. Here's the first statement. It is very simple. It is that God Is holy. God is holy. The second is that God is relational. And thirdly, that God reconciles. I could almost stop the message here. God is holy. God is relational. God reconciles. But let me expand a little bit more and stand still, because I think there's a bit of feedback coming on. God is holy. And by holy, what I mean is that God is set apart. He is totally set apart. The fancy word here is God is transcendent. Simply he is in a class all of his own. That God is above it all. He is totally above and before and beyond everything and anything else. God is holy. This is one of the many reasons why we love to worship God because in him there is no sin. In him there is no evil. All that God says is true. All that God says is just. All that God says is good. He is holy. And yet, I say and yet, by grace, God is relational. You know, God desires to be in relationship with me and with you. In fact, God wants to be in relationship with each and every one of us. That's better. I can move. Sorry, Jamie. I'm moving the furniture. God wants to be in relationship with each and every one of us. In fact, so much that before time began, before we were even thought of in that sense, God was prepared to make a way for us to be in relationship with him. He was prepared to count the cost of that relationship. You know, despite the fact that he is holy and we are not holy, God wants to be in relationship with you and with me. You see, we realize that God is the one that reconciles. He is the one that has reconciled all things with him. He settles debts. He fixes broken relationships. He redeems and he restores and he brings peace and harmony. God unites. God reconciles. That is who he is. And there's one more thing. I know I started with three, but here's a fourth thought for us, and I actually think this is harder, certainly for me to comprehend, that we have been made in His image. You and I, me and you, we are made in the image of God. In fact, God desires that we are like Him. This is our calling, our character. This is who we are, that we reflect the glory of God and who He is. We too are made holy. In fact, the Word of God says, be holy, for I am holy. And if God says it, it must be true. If God said it, it must be just. And if God says it, it must be good. So be holy, for I am holy. Not I, but the Lord is holy. And if God says it, his word never returns empty. So we have been made holy. We have been set apart. And likewise, if God is relational, and we are made in His image, then you and I, we, too, are relational with Him and with one another. Good, God-centered relationships in God and in Christ as believers. Relationships that build up, not those that tear down. Relationships that serve and give generously, not expecting return. Relationships that strengthen and encourage, not gossiping not speaking harshly, but relationships that bless, not judging, not condemning, relationships that are full of grace and of love and of compassion. And praise God that through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ, through the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit, we can be in good relationships. You and I, we can be in good God-centred relationships. So this is my opening statement. Let me, permit me once more to say it. God is holy, God is relational, God reconciled, and we have been made in his image. As I was preparing for today and uh, thinking where would I start, I thought it would be really good to read through from Matthew chapter 22. I thought it would be a a, a great place. So we're going to bring it up onto the screens, but you're welcome to open your Bibles or your Bibles, whichever you use. So reading in the ESV, starting in verse 34. When the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The so last time I preached was back in October, and actually I spoke on that first great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And we actually opened the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament for which Jesus was quoting chapter six. And I'm gonna give you in summary, not the whole message, but in summary, and it's important to understand that God was speaking to the Israelites that they were to fear and know The Lord their God, to fear and know the Lord their God, that they were also to love God, to love God with their all, with their everything, and that they were to remember God. They were to remember God in every circumstance, in every situation, to remember the Lord their God. And then we turned to the New Testament, and our focus was on Jesus, and that for us as believers today, God had established a new covenant a new covenant through which we would receive a new heart and a new spirit, and that we can now truly love God. Not simply loving God with an emotion, it's not about our feelings here, but loving God that leads to positive action. So why am I repeating this last message? Well, to love God is the first and great commandment, that we should first seek and know God, and love Him with all our heart, soul, and might, and strength. But likewise, I want to suggest, I want to say that without God, without God's love, without His compassion, without His grace, without His understanding, and without God's holiness, we cannot truly love others. We need God's love first. Which brings us nicely, though, to the second commandment, to the second command, which is that we shall love our neighbour as ourselves. It was a command, it was obviously not the first command, but it was still a command that Jesus spoke of and that Jesus shared for us, for you and I today, to love our neighbours. So, in the second command, again, Jesus is quoting from the Torah, from the first five books of the Old Testament. He's actually referencing a scriptural passage in Leviticus. Uh, may not be a book that we're overly familiar with, but it's a third book in our Bible, the, o- the Old Testament. And actually, I thought it would be useful to look at Leviticus just briefly, a little more closely, before we get into Leviticus chapter 19 that Jesus was quoting. So there's certainly lots of laws and rituals and lots of things in Leviticus. There's 243 of the 613 laws we find in this one book. So there's a lot of instruction in it. But actually, what might it tell us about God? What else does it tell us about loving our neighbours? What might it represent in Jesus's time 2,000 years ago? And what would it mean to us today? Because I really want to know how to love my neighbour. I know them by name, certainly the ones that live around me. I know many of you by name, but what does it really mean to love my neighbour? So, let's look more broadly at Leviticus. So, it's generally accepted that Leviticus was written by Moses that uh, this is the Moses that God spoke to from within a burning bush. The Moses that God spoke through when God redeemed the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. That God spoke to with the Ten Commandments and gave the picture of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting where God would meet with the people. And it was Moses that wrote the book of Exodus and then after the Exodus, God had Moses write the book book of Leviticus. So. It's a book that's named after the tribe, one of the tribes of Israel, the Levites. The Levites were one of the 12 tribes, but they're specially set apart from whom the priests and the ministers of the tabernacle and the tent would be called. But Moses begins with chapter one, and he says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. So I want us to imagine the scene somewhere between. Egypt and the Promised Land, somewhere in the desert, Um, about three and a half thousand years ago, give or take a bit. Moses is stood, I can't move, can I? I'm gonna try, outside of the tent. God is stood or is present in it. Moses isn't in God's presence at this point, but God is speaking to him. In fact, Moses doesn't get into the tent with Moses until Numbers, go read Numbers chapter one. But God is speaking and Moses is dictating God's words. He's capturing them for the people of Israel, for the nation to know what God has on his heart for them. Now, (laughs) let's jump into the book, actually. The book itself has a central point. Can we bring up the slides at this point, please? I hope that's broadly readable. The book itself, if we were to step back and take a look at it from a a high level, has a central point in chapters 16 and 17. It focuses on something of the Day of Atonement, which we'll come to in a minute. But either side of that, you actually see three major themes. In chapters one to seven, we see the rituals that God speaks of, and that's then repeated again in chapters 23 and 24 and 25. Moses was speaking about the rituals that Israel were to follow. There was, in the early chapters, sacrifices that the people were to give, either to say thank you or to say sorry to God or to one another. That there were sacrifices that required the shedding of blood, and that that shedding of blood would temporarily cover sin. Then, chapters 23, 24, 25, it talks of the seven different festivals of Israel. The festivals and feasts that Israel were to follow and that they were to observe each and every year. Festivals that would teach the people about God and who he was, but also who they were because of him. Chapters then 8 to 10 and 21 to 22, Moses is talking about the priests and who would minister to God, who would minister before God. So the early chapters talk about the ordinance of the priests and actually... (laughs) two of the sons of Aaron, who were actually pretty bad. They did something wrong, they tried to minister before God and it was very costly. They died uh, because God's holy and they weren't. But then in the latter chapters it talks about the qualifications or the qualities of the priests that would worship God. And then in the last section, we see the third major theme is about purity. Then the first part about ritual purity or impurity, about what you could and couldn't eat or could and couldn't touch, and who could and couldn't enter into God's presence. And then later on in chapters 18 to 20, which are the ones that Jesus was speaking of, it talks about moral purity. It talks about that the people were to live differently, that they were to be set apart, that they were to live justly, that they were to live with integrity and to love one's neighbour. Then, right in the middle of the book, in chapter 16 and 17, for me, I'd say this is the central point. We come to one of the seven festivals, this Day of Atonement. And actually, it's one we've often referred to. It's the one where the priest would go in once a year, but only once, into the Holy of Holies. In the ceremony, the priest who would be standing there in white garments would take not one lamb, but they would take two goats. And one goat they would sacrifice and the blood would be on the altar. But the second goat, the priest would lay on its, its hand on its head and they would pray for all the unknown, unconfessed sins of the people of Israel. And then they'd send the scapegoat off into the wilderness, never to be seen again. So you're sat there now thinking, why is he telling me this? What on earth has this got to do with me and you? And you may be right. But let me just say, Leviticus is a book that is all about holiness. God is holy. God is holy. God's ways are true and just and good. And that God, who is holy, cannot be in the presence of those who are not holy. However, as we see in Leviticus foreshadowed, there is a ritual sacrifice where the blood would atone. The word atone actually means the blood would cover the sins of the people. And this Day of Atonement was considered to be the most holy of holy days each year. That God, through the atoning sacrifice, would take that which was unholy and would consider it as if it were holy. That the blood shed and that the scapegoat would take away the sins of all the people, the nation of Israel. That God would make them holy and more than that that the people would then be set apart you see that this atoning sacrifice it reconciled the people with the one holy god let me say it again this is really important for understand that the atoning sacrifice reconciled the people with the one holy god and it enabled them to be different to be distinct To be set apart from everyone else around them and that they were now a set-apart, holy people, able to love God, able to love one another. Now, you're probably still asking, how does this relate to you and me today? How does it relate to Jesus' message to love your neighbour as yourself? Well, firstly, in Jesus' day, all the Jewish children would take a year or so to learn and study Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and deuteronomy And they'd often start with Leviticus with all its meaning of holiness, all its laws and rituals, all this sense of the atoning sacrifice that would cover the people with God's holiness. So when Jesus, 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years after Moses wrote Leviticus, when Jesus refers to love your neighbor as yourself, That's not the first time that God had said it. He'd set things in place centuries before, or one and a half centuries before. They would have known what he was referring to. They would have known the passages that were said, and they would have likely understood the wider context of what it means to love your neighbor. But let's not take my word for it. Let's turn to Leviticus 19. Again, I'll bring it up on the screen. We're gonna start with verse one, and then we'll jump to verse nine, which is the section in my Bible today, at least, that says, Love your neighbors yourself. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am homely. So when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner." Which is a fancy word for one who is temporarily passing through, who basically makes good of the people around them and is blessed in the land they're in. So, I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord. I. And the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbour or rob them. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbour. You shall not go around as a slanderer among the people and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbour. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart but you shall reason firmly frankly with your neighbour lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or beg grudge against the sons of your own people but you shall love Your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Sometimes when we read it in the New Testament it's great Jesus said it, but the words in red are so powerful, but sometimes we miss how much depth there is as we look at why Jesus may have said it. I want to paraphrase, if I may, I'll say it slowly because there's lots of bold words to fill in here. Love your neighbor through your words, through your actions, through your behaviour. Love your neighbour through your words and actions and behaviour. Love your neighbour by giving to those who are need, in need. From out of your plenty, your riches, your wealth, from all that the Lord has given to you, give generously to those who are in need. Love your neighbour as you deal justly honestly, with all people. Love your neighbour, not slandering, not slandering or hating your brother or sister. Love your neighbour. Love your neighbour, not taking vengeance, for that's the Lord's, not holding a grudge in your heart. Love your neighbour, as yourself. I know I went quick there. Love with words and actions by giving, by being just and honest. Not slandering, not hating, not holding vengeance, not holding a grudge. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. So, How does this apply to, to me today, to you? We are not under the law. Let me say it again. We are not under the law. We're not called to observe the rituals or the festivals. We're not. In fact, we're not called to live under the rules of the Torah. Jesus has fulfilled all of these, right? Jesus has fulfilled every part of the law and the prophets for us today. Yes, he has. But here's the punchline, the hook, if I may. and I suspect you saw it coming. Jesus, who answered the teacher, and the Pharisees in Matthew 22. Jesus who summarized the Law and the Prophets, the First and the Second Commandment, Jesus becomes the atoning sacrifice. He is the atoning sacrifice foreshadowed in Leviticus. And that means something to us today. I really recommend, not now, we're not gonna look at Hebrews now, certainly not the whole book, or chapter nine. I recommend and encourage you, uh, beloved, go and look at Hebrews nine. Because in Hebrews 9, what we see is that Jesus is the high priest. So when Leviticus referred to the qualities, the moral qualities of the priest in Leviticus, Jesus is our high priest. He is morally set apart, holy. Jesus fulfills all of the rituals, all the law, all the observations. And Jesus, it says in Hebrews, in chapter 9, he entered into the more perfect tent. Not a tent made with hands, but a heavenly place. And there, in that holy place, Jesus' blood was shed. Not the blood of goats or lambs, but the blood of Christ, the pure, perfect, without blemish, spotless, sacrificial lamb. Let me say that again, the blood of Christ, the pure, perfect, without blemish, spotless, sacrificial lamb of God. I was so blessed, Jamie, that we did before the throne of God. If we have time again, I'd almost like us to go back into that, because that is the message this morning, that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you and I, for us, to know that we've been redeemed. And we're going to take that message on in a minute when we look at what that means to us in loving our neighbours. This sacrifice was made once and for all, never to be repeated. There, Jesus' blood covered it all, every sin, every sin, not just my sins, thank the Lord, not just your sins, every sin against God, every sin against one another, every sin ever committed has been covered by the precious, powerful, cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Because of this atoning sacrifice, those who now believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour are now different, set apart able to love God and able to love others. There's much more I could or would or would want to say, but actually, I I actually wanna bring it into land here. And you may be thinking I've not much said yet, and that's fine, but I'm actually gonna invite the worship team and the ministry team to come up. I do have a few things I do wanna add. I want us to finally turn to the New Testament, actually to the Apostle Paul to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Again, we'll bring it up on the screen. If anyone is in Christ, that's you and me, most of us here today, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come, and this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God, who was reconciling the world to himself, was not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us in his place a message of reconciliation. Therefore, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, so we, I implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled, to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, you and I are now a new creation, reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. The old has gone, the new has come. In Christ, you are now the ministry, in the ministry of reconciliation. I don't know if that's a job title, or a department, or silly walks. All I know is that you and I have a ministry of reconciliation because of Christ Jesus and all that he has done. This is who we are. And we have an opportunity to share that message of reconciliation. This is the good news, the Gospel, proclaiming that God has made a way for you and I, for everyone, to be in good, God-centred relationships with him. And lastly, in Christ, you are now an ambassador for God, for we have become, by grace, the righteousness of God, receiving God's compassion and grace and love. And this is where I think the second commandment comes in that we too share that same message of grace, compassion and love. Not because we're perfect, not because we know it all, not because we get it all right, but because of Jesus Christ, the pure, spotless, sacrificial lamb who died on our behalf and now dwells in us through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. So how might we respond? Well, God is holy. God is relational, God reconciles, we are made in his image. And I see three potential responses, though I'm sure there are many more. Holy Spirit, would you prompt our response to you this morning? Would you let your word take hold in our lives? Would your spirit lead us into that place of freedom in Christ, into that sense of fullness in you? that we have been made holy because you are holy, because of all that you've done, and because of your love for us. So firstly, for any who know that you are a new creation in Christ this morning, but, and I deliberately would, but today, you need a fresh reminder. You need to know that God has called you and made you holy. We wanna pray, did I ask ministry team, um, if the ministry team are available this morning, otherwise? We'll work something out. Um, Yeah, We want to pray that you receive a fresh encounter this morning with the Holy God. And we want to pray for that overflow, that indwelling sense of God's Holy Spirit for you. Secondly, if you are a believer today, but you're holding on to a grudge or an offence, actually, James says that don't come to the altar, go to your brother or sister and ask for forgiveness and get reconciliation or whichever it is. But for you, we would actually pray that you come this morning and receive an increased revelation of God's grace for you to be able to forgive your brother or your sister and then to be able to enjoy that blessing and favour that comes when there is unity in God's house. And thirdly, I have to say it because it's on my heart. If there is anyone here who has yet to accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, or if you're watching online and you've yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Saviour, I invite you. I invite you to put your trust in Jesus Christ. He has paid the price for our sin and he offers grace and forgiveness, love and compassion today. Don't put off what will be the best relationship you could ever have with a God who thinks you're beautiful. And who loves you. God desires relationship with you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to make himself known to you. So Lord, we just give this over to you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, take this bag of bones and breathe your life into it, we pray. Holy Spirit, would you just come and minister to those in need, wherever we're sat or wherever we are, we just come before you, Lord,